Hello, everybody, and welcome to the uh, JAG Report, the Judicial Action Group uh, podcast segments. We are excited to be here. I am Jace Pimentel, the Executive Director for the Judicial Action Group, and this is Philip Jureggi, our wonderful president and founder. And we are going to start doing podcasts and videos about the foundations of law, what's going on in the judiciary, and with the laws in our country. But today, we wanted to hop on and talk about something that's happening right now and give our unique perspective about the Dobbs case and this draft opinion that was leaked, hopefully to provide some insight for the church in America, for our uh, politicians, legislators, etc. So, Philip, what has happened with the draft opinion and wow. what's going on right now? Yeah, lots happened. And as, as Jason and I talk about this, um, you know, we're, we're both attorneys, so we're coming at it from a legal perspective, but then also as a Christian ministry, we're looking at it from a faith perspective, from a Christian perspective. And so some of you will be attorneys that are, that are watching and others will be non-attorneys, but our goal is to be a blessing to you and to communicate information, to be helpful, to have a unique take on what's happening, again, from a legal perspective, but also a Christian perspective and a perspective uh, as intercessors. That's part of our mission at Judicial Action Group is prayer. Matter of fact, it precedes everything that we do. It's the, it's the Air Force, in a sense for what we do. So um, yeah, as Jace mentioned, this is a big week. Um, it's an unprecedented week because what happened Monday night with the release of this draft opinion and it and Chief Justice Roberts has confirmed that it was, a, it was an actual draft opinion, it was legit, is unprecedented. And uh, many people know what's happened. We won't give too much review to saying what happened, but it was a draft opinion that was, that was released. But when you think about that happening, this is unprecedented. And, um, and even though it's a wicked attempt, or it appears to be a wicked attempt to intimidate the justices, um, it tells me there's reason for great hope because whoever did this was desperate. And uh, the fact that they were desperate makes me very happy that the Constitution is being defended and that the other attempts to try to influence the justices failed, that they failed. In, in 1993, um, whatever it was that flipped Justice Kennedy from the pro-life side to the pro-death side in Planned Parenthood versus Casey, those types of plans were probably rolled out here. We don't know. But whatever could have been done short of leaking an opinion, they probably tried it and it didn't work. So. Jace, I'm, I was excited initially when we saw it, not that, not that the court was dishonored in this way, but because of what it said about where we are. And then you look at the opinion itself and what it says, this is not just some win. This isn't some win for one side. This is a reversal. And it's not just a reversal. It's like a slam dunk in your face destroys Roe versus Wade. This opinion's massive. So Jace, yeah, what are your 90, thoughts on that? Yeah, it's 90, 98 pages with a 30-page some-odd appendix. And it's he goes through and just yeah. systemically uh, hits every single counterpoint that can be raised and amply addresses it uh, 
very well. Yeah. I, I think it's yeah. a wonderful and, opinion. And it's cool. It's a, it's a major answer to prayer. Some folks may remember uh, Matt Lockett, who's a friend of ours that has the Justice House of Prayer in Washington, D.C., and some direction of what they were praying for. They really felt like we needed to go back and pray for the Lord to draw some things out of the Byron White descent from 1973. By, Byron White, it's kind of tough to say that, Byron White wrote a dissent in Roe versus Wade. So we were praying for some of those provisions in the, in the dissent to come into this opinion. And that's exactly what we saw. It's really exciting. Yeah, yeah, it is. <clears throat> it's uh, so many people uh, on, on social media that I, I, I follow. I follow a, a wide range of, of people with different <laughs> perspectives on uh, the court and on our government. And a good portion of them have been posting infographics and in posts along the lines of uh, cl claiming that our democracy, this is a threat to our democracy. And this is really important to, to understand <laughs> that this is, this is the very opposite of that. That's right. In everywhere in the world, there had been kings or Caesars and the kings and Caesars made the law. It was uh, Rex Lex. The, the king is the law. And America said, we are going to experiment and try something new. We're going to have the people govern. The people make the decisions. They do so by the, by the legislature, state legislatures, federal legislatures. They vote on what the laws should be, the laws that they want to be governed by. And then the Supreme Court in Roe, five, uh, just a, a majority of justices in, in Roe said, we we don't care that the people have, have not uh, wanted to make a law on this. We are going to make the law for the entire land. That's right. 320 million some odd people. That's not democracy. It's not. That's, that's monarchy. That Well, oligarchy, or it's, I suppose. Yeah, so, yeah, judicial oligarchy is what it is. And it's usurpation of legislative power. It's not just a bad decision. It's unconstitutional what they right. do. It was unconstitutional from the start. It was a false judgment. And like Martin Luther King says in the letter from the Birmingham jail, an unjust law is no law at all. This was this was unjust. It was it did not belong. It was not the prerogative yeah. of the majority but, justices. But the, the, the point you're making, Jace, just to emphasize it again, this is democracy, because now what's right. happening is the court is saying we were wrong to, to usurp and take this issue away from the people illegitimately. They never had the power to do it. They said abortion is a constitutional right. I'll give somebody a billion dollars, one billion dollars, if you can find the word abortion in the Constitution. <laughs> it's not there. So we right. won't have to pay up. It's not there. So when the court said that abortion is a constitutional right, they lied. Now they're correcting that line saying we were wrong. And, and as Justice Kavanaugh said, um, get out of the business and send it back to the states, which is properly where the Constitution puts it. Not in Congress, by the way, but in the states, which is where, um, which is where the Constitution puts it. And then that enables democracy, right, Jason? Right. Then you have 50 states, the people, their neighbors, folks out there, you and your neighbors, your legislators, your governors will be making policy on this issue. So, Jace, if you would share your thought about Dunkirk and how that feeds into what's happening now. It's a really neat example. So uh, I shared this this morning with, with Philip on our prayer call. And uh, last night I, you know, I went home and, and uh, I, I saw my uh, mother-in-law, who's 
amazing, sweet woman, a fiery intercessor for the Lord. And she said that she was praying about um, the leaked opinion and about our country and the judiciary and just kind of seeking the Lord on how she should be praying. And uh, felt like the, that she needed to go watch a documentary about Churchill and Dunkirk, and uh, which is really funny. And, she, you know, so she did. And she said that she felt like the Lord said, this is a Dunkirk moment for America and for the American democracy. So I, for some reason, I, I, I said, okay, like, we need to pray about this because this is really important. I feel like what you're saying is really true. So we did. We sat down and prayed. Uh, we, we, we prayed about it. We listened. And, uh, and what I feel like the Lord is saying, and this is, you know, important for all of America to hear, but, you know, especially the pro-life movement, the church is, uh, that this does relate to Dunkirk. Dunkirk was where England's army was trapped before America got involved in World War II. For anybody who doesn't know. Uh, and so in England, there were people who wanted to fight against the Nazis, and there were people who didn't want to fight against the Nazis. Uh, but it was a moot point either way, because they said, it doesn't matter. Our army is toast. 300,000 plus men stranded on the beach at Dunkirk, and they're, they're, they're done. Like the, the, the enemy's closing in around them. We don't have a military to fight. So it doesn't matter. It's a moot point. Uh, an amazing, miraculous thing happened where uh, citizens and private boats went and rescued all of these men off the shores and brought them back to England. And it was massive, not because it was this wind that pushed back the enemy, but because it enabled the country to say, okay, now we can have this conversation. Now we can decide what to do. And it was Churchill and his compatriots that said, we're going to fight. We're going to fight in the sea and in the air and on the land. And we're never going to surrender. We're never going to give up. And so for us, this moment, this is a draft opinion. This isn't even the published opinion. So we want to stay where we are and focus, about, focus on what the Lord is doing now, but also have an eye toward the future. That if this opinion gets published and if Roe gets overturned, this is not the terminal victory. This is the first step to say, now, people who either didn't want abortion or want abortion, now we can have this discussion. And now the pro-life movement in America can move forward into the legislatures and say, this is wrong. This is murder. These uh, babies in the womb are lives that deserve to be protected, even if it inconveniences the mother. And so right. that's, that's kind of what I has been on my heart for the past 24 hours or so uh, is this idea of, of uh, this opinion being like a Dunkirk moment to say, okay, the game is on. Yeah. And now it's time to move forward and do the work of the Lord to restore justice through our legislature, uh, which is really funny using that word just because, you know, every, Every perspective uses that word justice. Like, demand justice. We need justice. <laughs> justice is uh, or orchestrating societies in accordance with the Lord and the natural law and how he's directed the world. That's it. So protecting life, protecting life mm -hmm. is justice.
we were in uh, D.C. last week. My weeks are going by so fast, Jace. It's hard to remember. I was in D.C. last week. Jason and I were there together. And we were walking, we walked behind the Supreme Court. And I mentioned to Jace, we had a number of, of wonderful uh, prayer teams up in D.C., many of whom are watching, I'm sure. But one of the things that we discovered is there's a cornerstone on the back of the Supreme Court. And within that cornerstone, there are, there are several items that were placed there when the building was built. I think it was 1930s, 37, but in any event. Um, one of the items that's in that cornerstone is a copy of a speech that was given at the dedication of the building. And the speech concludes with a statement about the Lord, not talking about just a God, small g, talking about the Lord, capital T, capital L, the Lord, which is talking about the God of the Bible. It says the Lord, and then it says, may his justice reign, I think it says reign or rule, but may his justice reign or rule in this place, in this building. And so when Jace just mentioned justice, a lot of times that, that word gets thrown around a lot. We hear people today saying, I've heard this, my truth. Like, I want to tell my truth. It's like, what are you talking about? My, <laughs> yeah, it's my like, truth, my justice. My truth, like, <laughs> like that's become a thing. Like you get to define like my law of gravity. Like, no, there's a law of gravity. You can either understand it and follow it or not, but you don't, you don't get to have my law of gravity. You don't get to have your version of truth. There's just truth. It's the same way with justice. People say, oh, give me justice, give me justice, or this is just, or no, there's the Lord's justice. Just as there's a law of gravity, we can either understand it and line up with it or not. But that's why I love that speech at the dedication of the building is it's talking about the Lord's justice, the Lord's justice, that eternal principle of justice that's not defined by Jace or Philip or even by five justices on the court. It's defined by the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. And we take a lot of comfort in that. Yeah, absolutely. Jace, let's talk some about what his, I, one thing I want to mention is what's happened this week, um, the, the threats that have been made. There's the question about when this opinion will come out. And I think most of us believe it needs to come out sooner rather than later. Um, whoever leaked this opinion, we're assuming it was leaked and not a hack, but whoever put this opinion out was trying to most likely intimidate the justices and do some of the things that are happening. But now you have some groups that are not exactly stable that are organizing walk-by protests at six of the justices' homes, okay? Yeah. Something could go wrong. You start doing that, stuff could go wrong. And so there are some nutsos out there who might think, wait a second, the opinion hasn't been published yet. What if I go out and murder a justice? I mean, they're truly sick people who think that way. And so the fact that this opinion's pending, I'd like to see the opinion issued ASAP as soon as possible so that now you don't have that temptation in people's minds that if they can go visit a justice's house, I mean, this is, this is crazy. So anyway, um, as we're praying about it, I think it's important, you know, the Lord knows the timing. And so we trust him, however he wants to pull this off, but just from a reasonable standpoint, it seems like issuing the opinion sooner rather than later would be a positive thing and a safe thing. Yeah, I agree. I was, uh, watching some of the, uh, some of the protests that have been happening on the steps of the Supreme Court. And man, it is uh, tensions high. And there's, 
the pro-life movements and the pro-abortion uh, movements happening at the same place at the same time. And I'm watching it like, man, this is a this is un this is unstable as a vat of nitroglycerin. This is gonna explode. So when, when they're saying when they're publishing, you know, the the addresses of the uh of the six houses, they include Roberts in that, which I thought was interesting. Uh, yeah, there was they published the houses. I, I thought, man, this is a bad idea. You should have, you know, very angry spun up people in large groups going to march against the like this is not going to be good so the church needs to to pray always pray for our leaders of course but uh to pray specifically for the safety um of those justices that were that were named in their houses yep. named yep. And, and for uh for their for their families as well yeah and one of the things that uh, I, I do believe when I saw this come out, Jace, on Monday, one of the first thoughts that hit me was this is going to backfire against the left for doing this. Um, you know, it was a, a bit of a Hail Mary. And in football, you guys know a Hail Mary pass is like when the only time you run a Hail Mary is when that's the only thing you have left. There are like two seconds left on the clock. You're down by six points. You have to score a touchdown. You don't want to try to run it for five yards. That doesn't, that doesn't help. So you got one option left in this Hail Mary attempt. But when you throw a Hail Mary, um, bad things can happen, right? And yeah. so this Either is a really Hail Mary. Really, really bad. <laughs> exactly. And um, so even these attempts, what I see is that the justices are truly being refined because it's sort of like refining metal, right? Metal is refined through a crucible and fire. And so the, the picture you have there is this refining fire that purifies the metal, the impurities come to the surface and they're, they're scraped off. And what's left is more pure and more useful to the Lord because of it. And I sense the same thing is happening with the justices, that the more that the left tries to bring fire against them, it's backfiring. And I want folks to pray this, that, that the justices will not turn back from doing what they're supposed to do under their oath to the Constitution and before the Lord, and that it'll refine them even more. Because when, when we're put under fear and we say no to it, we go to another level. And, um, and I, I'm just going to pray right now, Father, we pray for the justices that as they're refined, that they would truly break through this attempt to put them in fear and that they would go to another level as justices and be all the more useful to you because of it. There's actually a line in Alito's draft opinion, Jace, um, where he basically says, I'm paraphrasing, but he says, look, there are things that are going to happen publicly and opinions and all of that because of this opinion. But we can't take that into account, even if we knew what the reaction would be. We can't right. take it into account because that's not our job. We're not politicians. Right. Our job is to be justices, to read the Constitution and issue a ruling <clears throat> under the statutes and the, and the Constitution and be in accord with that. So I love that. And so the Lord's doing wonderful things, not only through this ruling, but through this whole process, I believe. Yeah. Now, one of the things, one of the perspectives you have that I, I've loved talking with you about is this perspective of seeing the Supreme Court as a prodigal son, treating them as such and praying for them as such. And I think this is a really important uh, perspective to have for the church 
uh, for a number of reasons. But if you could share a little bit about the history of that frame Mm -hmm. mental state and kind of how that relates to the church's relationship to the Supreme Court now. Sure. So this was Jace. um, I guess it was about four years ago, four or five years ago, we were preparing a group to go to D.C. and to have prayer at the court. And um, this this whole idea of the parable of the prodigal son really hit us as we were reading it. And um, there are some parallels that I think are neat. You guys know the parable of the prodigal son. It's not a true story of something that happened, but Jesus told it as a story. And he said there was a there was a son of his father that asked for the inheritance of his dad while his dad was still alive. Bit of an insult. And then took the money and went to a far country and engaged in all sorts of sin and wild living. Um, But it says there was a point when when he had lost all of his money and he was living under the results of his sin. Because the Bible even says, you know, sin will bring pleasure for a season, but after that it leads to death. So he was at that point where he didn't have any more money. And it says, but when he came to his senses, he came to his senses. And then he said, I'll go back to my father's house. And he did, but it was a journey back. And so as we look at the court, there are some similarities there. The court has a noble calling in the constitution. It's not something, I mean, they, just to be a justice, just to put on a robe and decide cases is enough. But somewhere along the line, the justices decided it, they didn't just want article three power. They wanted article one power. So they usurped, they went to a far country. They started abusing what they were given for wrong purposes, like the prodigal son. But it says, you know, when, but in the, in the parable of the prodigal son, it said when he came to his senses. And so our prayer has been that the court will come to its senses. And I think to a degree, I think they have. Now they're returning. And even in the parable, it said that the son was in a far country. He wasn't on the other side of the hill. (laughs) And so guys, as we pray for the court, it's not like you know, Jason and I aren't saying, oh, the court has totally gotten everything on track and they're never going to make a mistake again. I don't believe that. But I do believe they're on their way back to the father's house, if you want to follow that analogy. But again, they were in a far country, so it would have taken time. So don't be discouraged as you see the court do some wonderful things in the days and weeks and years ahead. But if they make a mistake or something that we view as being a mistake, don't throw up your hands and say, oh, they're all a disaster. This was, they're all a mistake. No, even if the decision is a mistake, that doesn't mean that they are a mistake. It's kind of like, Jace, I have children, I have sons, and uh, 19 and 24. Well, if one of them makes a big mistake and they come back to the house, I don't tell them you're a mistake. <laughs> Right. I'm like, look, that was a mistake, but I love you. You know, let's be restored. And it's the same way. So we have to have here's the the, the final conclusion to it is as the church, we need to be very careful because there's another son in that parable. Right. There's the older brother. He had a bad attitude when his brother came back. He did not want to be a part of the celebration. He even told his dad, what are you doing now? The heart of the father was to restore the son, even though there had been all this wild living and sin and dishonor. So we want to make sure that we're not the older brother in the story with the court. We can point out that what they're doing is wrong, but we also want to have the heart of our father, which is to say, come on back, justices. Come on back, court. Come back into alignment with the wonderful, noble purpose God has given you under Article 3. 
Amen. I, yeah, I Amen. agree. I have, I have friends, uh, who, uh, I have few friends who, who say things like, you know, government politics, though that's like the devil's business. Christians need to have nothing to do with that. And I respectfully say that I would need, I, I, I could have a month of straight information of why that's you right. know, so incorrect, it's, but yeah, if they it, think it's the devil's business, it sure enough will be the devil's business. <laughs> God's right. people stay out of it. Right. right. So, but the, you know, the, the thing is that for, for people in the church who have that mentality that say the Supreme court is the enemy, the government is the enemy. Our, our, our elected representatives are the enemy. Politics is the enemy. And they're doing wicked things, doing evil things. We want nothing to do with them. The, that's the same mentality that leads the older brother to outrun the father and slap. Jace, we lost your audio, or at least I did. Jace, can you hear? Give me a thumbs up if you can hear me. Can you hear me, Jace? We lost Jace for a minute. I'm going to, I'm going to. Jace, now we can hear you. Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're good. Right. I don't know what happened. Go ahead, though. We just lost about 10 seconds worth. Well, it's it, what, I'm, what I wanted to say is that it's important for the church to not see the Supreme Court as the enemy of, uh, of, of the church and of God, because then they'll, out, they'll outrun the father and go smack the brother <laughs> as he comes over the hill. And that's... <laughs> That's really damaging to the family. And, and so for yeah. the church to say, go ahead. That, no, 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 go ahead. Finish, finish that thought. For the church to pre-position our hearts to receive the prodigal son of the Supreme Court as it comes over the hill yeah. will create a much healthier, wonderful family, to put it in the analogy of the story, but society to put it in terms of our country. Exactly. Now, guys, please understand, we're not saying that, oh, we can't say anything bad about the court or we can't ever correct them. That's not right. true at all. Matter of fact, we'll still take the positions about things that the court is doing even now that aren't proper, but we'll have the attitude of wanting them to come home. Right. And so just like just like the father, um, the prodigal son did have to repent of his sin. He wasn't just coming back to the same guy. He wasn't coming back with that same attitude and that same approach. And so just as a father, if our children were to make a mistake or others out there as parents, your kids make mistakes, um, you don't just say, oh, it's okay. And you just ignore it. No, you have to address right. it. You have to deal with it. But it's the attitude of doing it for the purpose of restoration and getting, getting us all in line with the Lord's will rather than just destroying. Amen. Another thing I think it's, that's important to address um, is what good things should be on the mind of the church, the radar of the church, if you will, in a post-Roe world. And I want to caveat this by saying that it's, it's important to not run ahead of ourselves, or as, as Matt said, take a victory lap, which I love that, that phrase, uh, and to get too far ahead, but it is important to prepare, uh, especially our hearts and our minds individually and collectively for what may be coming. 
And right. in a post row world, there's there's one little anecdote that I that really has stuck in my mind that I've thought about. And it's something that John Stone Street talked about at a uh, summit of sorts that I went to years ago. He came and spoke and he he was he, he, he brought up this story. And I, to be honest, I can't remember the context in which he brought it up. He brought it. It was something he was writing on or or, or something of the sort. But he told this story about ancient Rome. And he said in ancient Rome, uh around the time that the church had already been somewhat institutionalized uh, and was no longer under extreme persecution from, from Nero, there came a law that said, if you don't want your baby girl, you can leave them out in the backyard for the wolves to take care of them. And it was legal. And the church fought against this, but that was the law of the land. And so all of these different monasteries and convents, the different groups of the church uh, said, this is terrible. We can't let this happen, but we don't know what to do about it. We don't have ample resources to care for all these children. We don't have housing. We don't have the faculties to solve this problem. But yet they're out there and they're crying at night. We don't what, what do you do? So they every night they would send out the, the nuns and others to go grab these children. It wasn't hard to find them. Listen for the crying baby in the dark. And they did this night after night after night and would bring them into the church to care for them because it's a life. So something that the enemy intended for evil, the Lord had an intention for good because Fast forward about 14 years, and you have an entire generation of Roman men looking around saying, where are all the eligible wives? Where's all the women? And they were all in the church. And it led to, according to, to Stone Street, it led to just probably the most massive explosion of growth for the church up until that point. It was just, it was huge. And it was empire-wide. And so when I heard that, for some reason, it really stuck with me. And it brought to memory uh, examples like Esther, where the enemy had this plan to use Haman to kill all of the Israelites. But the Lord had raised up Esther to stand in the gap. And the same gallows that Haman built for the Israelites was used for himself. And then it brings up a story of Joseph from Genesis 50, where he's sold into slavery, he's put in prison, he is defamed, but then he's raised up to be number two in Egypt, and he saves a huge portion of the civilized world from famine, and then his siblings come to him, Israel comes to him, and he says, it's okay what you intended for evil, the Lord intended for good, and then he brought them into Egypt, where they had blessing and food, and they were able to populate and grow their numbers and enjoy this time of prosperity. So the question is, with this improper false judgment that was laid down from the court in Roe, and for 49 years we've had certified abortions, how is the Lord going to now use this for redemptive work for the church. And it will be done 
through the church. Therefore, it is so important as we stand and contend for where we are now to look ahead and position our hearts individually and collectively to say, what are you doing, Lord? And how can I be a part of it? And how can my church family be a part of it? That's good. Because in a post-row world, there's going to be a lot of, there's a surplus of babies and they are going to be going to adoptive homes. And it is good for our society if morally sound, loving parents adopt them into their home to raise them. So exactly. I think it's I think it's an important part of the conversation to not, like I said, run ahead of ourselves, but also to prepare our hearts and think and look ahead and say, Lord, what are you doing? How can I be a part of it? Because he's always doing something that's and he's right. always redeeming something. That's he's right. the redeemer. So th- that's kind of a, a thought I have. What do you think? That's good. That? Yeah, there was a there was a story in the news maybe two months ago. I forget, but. And I can't remember what state it was in. I think it was in Texas. But in any event, there was a there was a baby that was found in a dumpster. You remember that? There was a baby in a dumpster that was found by some people because the baby was crying. And what had happened was this was a newborn baby that the parent took the baby, didn't want the baby, and left it, wrapped it up, I forget what, in a bag or something, and left it in a dumpster to, to be to die, you know. Um one of the things that, that I thought about was um, I heard from our friend, Alan Parker. Alan is with Justice Foundation and does amazing work. Alan's a dear brother and, uh, again, does great pro-life work as an attorney. But Alan explained to me several months back, maybe it was a year ago or a little bit more, but about safe haven laws. And, Jace, I'm going to mention it because I didn't know about it, and many of the people listening may not know about it. But every state, all 50 states have what's called a safe haven law. And a safe haven law allows the parents of a baby, in some states it may be three days, in others it might be 60 or 90. But it gives them the ability, and every state law is different, but it gives them the ability to drop the baby off at either a a designated hospital or a fire station in different states for the baby then to be taken and given up for adoption and go through that process. But for the parent, there's no penalty of abandonment. Normally, that would be a crime, right? If you just drop a baby in a dumpster or drop a baby at a hospital without a safe haven law, you could be guilty of a crime of abandonment. And then later on in life, if if those parents wanted to have a child, they might have problems because of what happened previously with abandonment. And the child might even be taken from them. Sure. I mean, it's a civil and criminal. It's a serious matter. But these safe haven laws allow for the parents to give the child up for adoption without any negative consequences legally. Not only that, but of course, the baby's life is saved. And the parents are saved from the trauma of having gone through an abortion. A lot of people think, well, you just have an abortion, it's fine. Well, ask, ask parents who've gone through that, and they'll tell you, no, it's, it's very difficult, the pain of what happened and, and the loss of that child is difficult. So but these safe haven laws are wonderful. And so there needs to be, you, you hear, you know, we need to create awareness. Well, I needed to be aware. Alan Parker made me aware. Everyone out there, you guys need to be aware and you need to make others aware of this law. Had that lady two months ago known about safe haven laws, she prob- hopefully would have taken the child and left it 
with one of these safe haven places. And so these laws are out there and we need to make sure that our attorneys general in all 50 states are aware of them. Don't assume that they know about it. They may not. But now's the season where these safe haven laws are going to be more important than ever. Crisis pregnancy centers, adoption centers, adopted families. And you may be adopting or you may say that's not what the Lord's called you to do in this season, but maybe you're volunteering at a crisis pregnancy center or you're working on safe haven projects. So there are going to be a lot of wonderful new things for the, for the body of Christ to be doing in this season to come. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Very important. It's going to be, it's a, it's beneficial as well with people that, uh, that value <laughs> abortion, which is, it's a, a very wicked thing, but with people who are deceived and who really value it and say, like, this is something that people, women have relied on for 50 years now. And this is, this is absolutely improper to then just rip this out from under them where now they have to, if they get pregnant, they have to go through an entire pregnancy and they have to birth the baby, but then they have to raise the child for 18 plus years. And that's $300,000. And then if they want to get, go through an adoption, it's very expensive. It's a legal battle. It's this whole thing. And the answer is that's not true. That's not true. We want mothers to, to, to value their babies and to value their kids. But for, for mothers who, who, who say, I, I can't, I can't take care of this child. Uh, we're, we're not saying you have to take care of them for 18 plus years and all the, the expenses and life demands that go into it. You just have to birth the baby. And then if you choose to, you can safely release them to these safe haven laws where someone who cares for them can take That's care. Right. It's a very, you're right to bring it up. It's a very important part of the discussion. That's good. Well, I think we're probably there. We can talk about this for hours and days, guys. There's so much <laughs> happening, but I think we're probably at a pretty good point, Jace. Is what's the uh, what's, what's the last thing that you would say to uh, to our to our listeners or yeah. our viewers uh, to leave in their mind as we move forward between now and the published opinion? To be praying for the justices and for the completion of what they've put their hand to, and um, and thanking God for where we are. And don't, don't pray from a, from a point of fear. Pray from a point of faith. Um, you know, what we saw in that draft opinion Monday was amazing, amazing. And it is an answer to what we've been praying. And so we're, we're excited about that. But we're also saying, okay, let's, um, let's finish this victory. Let's get the victory issued. And then there are a lot of other things that we can do. But be praying for the justices and also for their safety and for their refining during this process, that they will not give in to fear, and that by doing that, they will go to a whole nother level, not just in life cases, but in every type of case, constitutionally and morally, that matters at the court. Um, so this is, a, this is an exciting season, guys. Our mission at Judicial Action Group is judicial renewal, the restoration of the judiciary to its proper role of deciding cases rather than legislating from the bench. And we haven't completed that mission, but we're seeing massive movement and, and bits of completion and victories toward that goal. The prodigal child, the prodigal court is on his way home. I believe it. And we're seeing evidence of that all the time. Um, Jace, let's do this. Let's give them kind of some housekeeping details. I don't know if we need to make all the statements like, you know, subscribe and... <laughs> 
be sure to comment. You know, I know there are all these benefits on YouTube, but um, well, this is our housekeeping things. Yeah, this is our first one, our first video uh, that Philip and I have done together. And so if uh, if you enjoyed this, um, we are going to start doing other videos uh, to to be a voice for uh, what's going on in the judiciary and how it relates to our country as a whole, with also a unique perspective for how that relates to the church. Uh, and providing hopefully helpful information on That's how good. we move forward into uh, the waters of our culture and the law and politics and government and so on and so forth. So that's good. Uh, be looking for our videos. Uh, we'll probably start posting these on Spotify as well, uh, but for sure on Facebook with links also uh, on Instagram and uh, LinkedIn, hopefully. So that's good. And that's Jason, kinda, I want to yeah. mention this too, just to ask folks. Um, I would ask you to consider supporting us at Judicial Action Group. Um, yeah. We greatly, greatly value that. And we would never try to manipulate anybody. Just ask the Lord, you know, but if he tells you to, I want you to know how much we would, we would appreciate that and how much we do appreciate it. A number of you support us. Um, we're not self, uh, self-funded here. We do need support and help and God takes care of us. He's very, very good to us. But I just want to say that I had somebody that asked me one time, Jace, they're like, do you even need contributions? Are you guys just independently wealthy? And I said, well, <laughs> no, we do. And so just to make that clear, uh, we, we do value your support, but also your prayers and your participation and your heart for this mission. Um, and it's so exciting what we're seeing and all the glory to God for what he's doing in this nation. So Jason, anything else as we wrap up? No, no, that's it. Hit the nail on the head with everything. Why don't, you, why don't you close us in prayer? Okay, will do. Lord, thank you for our country and for your hand working in our government and in our judiciary. We pray that you bless our justices, keep them safe, protect them, give them wisdom, give them grace. And we pray for our culture, as there are many people who are very angered by this draft opinion and at the prospect of uh, abortion no longer being a constitutional right. And we pray that you would minister to them in your love, in your truth, and that you would comfort them and that you would show them uh, how you feel about unborn babies and that you would give them your heart for the unborn. We pray that you would bless uh, the church as we participate in our country and in what's happening uh, with our laws and the judiciary and release your peace over our country. Amen. Amen. Awesome. All, All right. right. Well, thank you everybody for watching and uh, look for our next video. Bye-bye.